You are tuned in to Americana Music Profiles. Thanks for joining us for the second season, brought to you exclusively by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine. Man, it's people like you that, that makes it possible for us to get out here and enjoy this life. Thank you for getting in touch with me. I'm so glad you love what we do. Thank you for your help with everything, Greg. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing you've got going there. I'm your host and publisher, Greg Tutwiler. Now let's get to this week's show. My guest today is Ted Hefko. Ted and his band, The Thousand Airs, bring original stories to life with spontaneity of jazz, the bare-bones sensibility of early folk, and the vibrance of New Orleans. Welcome to the podcast today, Ted. Thank you for having me, Greg. I'm looking forward to talking to you about the music. So tell me a little bit how you got started. In my teenage years, my dad uh, started playing spoons and and jaw harp with a, a street band that played uh, Piedmont blues, like Reverend Gary Davis tunes and Blind Lake and stuff. So I started to uh, get exposed to that, which is not like the Delta blues, where it's the one four five thing. It's kind of almost like a combination of ragtime and blues. So I started to listen to that. Um, went to school in New Orleans for jazz in my early 20s on saxophone and um, kind of lost track of the songwriting and the guitar playing for a while there and got back into it a few years after I finished college, I guess. And you were uh, born in Madison, Wisconsin, is that correct? Yeah, yep, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking over some of your your press material, and and I'm fascinated by a, a couple of the stories. If you could maybe embellish them a little bit for me, uh, the, the first one was um, moving from Wisconsin uh, to New Orleans. Um, it says on a Greyhound bus at 18, fresh out of high school. What what yeah. what prompted that move that early in your life? Well, I had went to. Jazz Fest, New Orleans Jazz Fest, when I was 17, when I was finishing my junior year of high school. I had an older sister that was in college, and she had went and um, told me about it, and then decided that I would just go myself. And then I knew a band from Chicago that was going to drive down. I, I would poster when they came to Madison. So I um, hitched a ride with them and stayed at the youth hostel in New Orleans for Jazz Fest and took all of that in, and by the time I got home, I had realized I just wanted to move there. Hmm. So when I finished high school, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was ready for college or whether I would do that or not, but I just wanted to make the move and um, ended up doing college later. But uh, it just fit for me, uh, the city. And I don't know if it was any particular music that I saw. It was more the spirit of New Orleans. Okay. And you went alone, is that right? When I moved? Right, uh-huh. Yeah, I uh, was a woman that I was quite a bit older than me that uh, was my manager at the restaurant. I was washing dishes at when I was in high school that moved to go to graduate school okay. and I convinced her to let me be her roommate down there. <laughs> okay. So I did have a place waiting when I came. Yeah. Okay. And she had found her place. Uh, but we weren't, um, you know, close friends or anything. She was just uh, somebody that was also moving. Yeah. 
and I talked to it to uh, let me be a roommate. So from from Wisconsin to New Orleans at 18, it must have been a, a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, I, I was a, kind of a pensive kid. I guess I've learned to have more fun as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, New Orleans will round those edges off you pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, just on a surface level, I started working as a busboy when I moved to New Orleans. Okay. And it was a Creole, Creole busboy that was training me. Mm-hmm. And for the first couple of days, I couldn't understand the vast majority of what he was saying to hmm. me. And it wasn't French or anything like people say in the movies. It was, he was speaking English, but the accent was so different. Mm-hmm. And the the choice of words, like, they put this in the box. I didn't know he meant the refrigerator okay. when he said the box. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. little stuff like that. And I remember him getting so pissed at me that I really just couldn't understand what he was saying. And, <laughs> you know, I can't imagine that now, but at the time I really couldn't yeah. understand what he was saying to yeah. me. And what? How long did it take you to to find some sort of um, a musical engagement after getting there? Um, I had some things right away. I think I just responded to some. You know, people put ads in the newspaper. And mm-hmm. Found a couple jam sessions. Um, I could go to bars at that age, but I didn't really know what I was looking for. I went to a couple jam sessions. I met a few people that I played with. But it it really wasn't happening for me fast enough, and that's part of the reason I decided to go to school for music. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't good enough player to be getting many gigs around town to start with. Okay. Uh, compared to, I mean, in the context of my hometown, I was pretty good for 18. But in the context of New Orleans, um, not so much. So yeah. Kids would go to NOCA in New Orleans, it's a fine arts high school, and they're playing... You know, they may not understand everything that they're playing, but they, they, they're making the right sounds at that age. Okay. You know, some of uh-huh. the kids in New Orleans, and I, there was things that I understood about music, but there was a lot that I was missing. And so then, then you went, decided to enter into the University of New Orleans. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been. It was after my first year. I did a year of, kind of being a busboy and just getting used to being out on my own and um, uh, trying to find some people to play with. Mm-hmm. But I, I did start to feel like most of my peers are doing something that I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, just, uh, I didn't have the social skills at that age either. To I don't know if anybody does to right. take on this whole new city with sure. different people yeah. once like that. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty brave to even uh, to, to even make that move in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I didn't maybe not brave so much or as uh, ignorant to <laughs> how big a challenge that was. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. sometimes probably how, how we get to most of our achievements is we don't really realize what we're stepping into until we get there. And if you're that age, then that's something you gotta hopefully you go with in some way because. Um, that's what you have going for you. Sure, sure. Is that you just go out and try things. Yeah. So uh, f- finishing up through through college, then then where did uh, where did your musical path go from there? Well, I um, about my junior year of college, I connected up with a band that 
was fit into the jam band category. Okay. But was more on the instrumental, kind of Modesky Martin Wood, Soul Live kind of side of that than the, you know, Fish or something like that. And um, we had started doing little weekend trips and stuff. Um, and um, so by the time I finished college, we were ready to do a tour and we went out west that summer and went to California and Colorado and Arizona. Um, a few stops on the way. We did a few of those tours. So I, I, I um, did not go to my college graduation just to give you an idea of that. We went okay. and played some gigs in Florida. <laughs> and so I got out of college and immediately I was in a 15 passenger van. Wow, okay. Bouncing around the country. And that was uh, what style of music then? The, the jam band music? Yeah, it was more of the, like I said, more of the instrumental. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wasn't, you couldn't say it was jazz, but it was more in that vein than something like the Grateful Dead or, or um, Fish or something like that. It's more of the instrumental music, you know, jazz, improvised music. Now, was this the, um, in, in your uh, PR material, it, it speaks of, a, um, in, in the late 90s, a drive across the country in a van. Is that something different than this experience after graduation? No, it's the same. It's the same yeah, thing. This band was called Idle Time. We did a, a record. We had it signed on a small New Orleans label even. And, uh, you know, bounced around the country for a couple of years with that. Um, and it, at this time, were you, were you guys um, writing your own music, or were, were you doing the writing? Is that part of was that part of the band? Yeah, it was all. I wrote a couple of the songs outright for the album, and I had a couple more that we didn't end up doing a second record while I was in it. But we we, we did some live things, but not okay. another whole record. But um, I had a couple on there that I wrote outright, and then there were some we wrote together. Uh, I didn't write lyrics then. I was trying to just do instrumental. Mm -hmm. okay. I was committed to making instrumental music that was somehow appealing anyways. And um, so, yeah, most of the songs we had were instrumental, and they were almost all original. What sparked the transition from being an instrumental writer to adding lyrics to that? Well, uh I had written lyrics when I was a kid and practiced guitar. And then when I went to school, I chose saxophone as my major, not guitar. Okay. And for for better or worse, I just kind of dropped the other thing for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And um, when that band broke up, I, I moved to New York with my then girlfriend, now wife. And I thought I would try my hand in New York. I was I missed playing jazz. I'd been studying jazz. I wanted to dig in a little deeper in that and um, I just needed some time away from New Orleans too um, so I set out to go to New Orleans to New York and just uh, be a kind of a saxophone player for hire there mm, Okay. and I did do that for a couple of years or three years or something I don't know exactly how long but some point along the way I picked up some gigs, trio gigs, where I knew they'd had a singer before, 
and I, I knew I was expected to sing some songs, and mm-hmm. I knew some of the New Orleans tunes, and I started kind of building on that. Um, I was also doing extra work in movies mm-hmm. for a little side income. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's freelance to sort of fit together with music, and mm-hmm. if I put some together PR-wise for that, then I, I thought that that helps me with the music, too. Maybe there'd be some... Um, that those two things would fit together, kind mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know. So then I thought about the idea of acting because other people were doing that, and they, I get asked to go to auditions where I would read something. And um, so I bought a little two-minute monologue uh, book, and I was reading through these. And about the same time, I ordered a couple Bob Dylan records, his earliest records, mm-hmm. uh, CDs, I guess. And when I listened through those, then I realized that he was writing two-minute monologues, too, and acting them out in a way, and they were more compelling than the ones in the book I had, or Mm. at least as compelling. And that's what really started to get me to think about songwriting in another way, because I did write a lot of songs when I I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. but um, they just were kind of formulaic or... Or, well, I don't know. I was a little kid, but I hadn't really figured out a way to do that right. on a more serious level. And there's something I started to understand about the way that Bob Dylan was approaching that mm. that I had been missing. Mm-hmm. So I really started to think about the stories and how to put together stories and and um, the economy of it, mm-hmm. which which was the real challenge to songs and. I think, I mean, there's songs you hear on the radio where they're not really trying. I, I know I'm not a successful villain, but I know them trying to do the, something there, mm-hmm. which is, you can have so many, I mean, most songs are 32 bars long, and maybe there's do a couple verses and something, but you have a limited number of syllables to get your point across. And you can't include all the details, but you also don't want to be so... Um, general about things that you nothing happens mm-hmm. so I looked at the, the two minute monologues in that book I saw well in the course of this monologue something changes you learn something you didn't know at the beginning um, but it's not chapter after chapter of ideas it's one complete thought that has a beginning it develops and it ends it, that's the way I what I value in a song. Mm-hmm. When you, you have a limited amount of time to get your point across and you use every syllable you have mm, to the best effect that mm-hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. And it helps if you're talking about something in particular mm-hmm. rather than general things. It's, you know, it's not an essay about your political views, um, but it can have politics to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a journal entry where you tell everybody about all horrible problems that you have, although those can be in there, mm-hmm. but it's a story. Mm-hmm. For me, first and foremost, uh, I think most people that write for a living, I don't know if the general public thinks it this way, but most people that write songs think Chuck Berry's the best mm-hmm. at that. <laughs> yeah. the, absolutely. The economy of it, huh. and you can just tell when you hear him, he, if he needed the thesaurus, he got it out and he looked it up. He didn't just waste syllables. He's okay. chosen every word. and huh. So those kinds of things, then I 
started to realize what the challenge was, then I became more fascinated with revisiting mm -hmm. it, songwriting. Yeah, that's interesting. So at some point, then you um, you you took all of that and and morphed that into a solo career, right? Yeah. So it became a solo career, and and you're now three albums into that. Is that right? Yeah. I guess I had been doing more as a leader already, and singing, mm -hmm. singing Duke Ellington tunes or Broadway tunes or New Orleans kind of songs and stuff. And um, so it was just a question of adding some of that. But I also just did some gigs that in New York, you kind of have gigs that pay and then gigs where you play what you want, and it's hard to put them together. Right. Okay. So I did do some gigs where it, I didn't even bring the saxophone the first couple of them because I wanted to make a break from that and I brought the guitar and I sang the songs that I wrote and I tried not to do any of any covers mm. um, and then gradually the two projects kind of merged back together mm -hmm. but it took some time and I think that uh, I learned some things creatively in the process of of putting everything back together but I had taken kind of two paths in my life. One was to be a professional sax player, and the other one was to be a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. And I paid more attention to one or the other at different times. But um, over the years, I've tried to find a way to present everything that I have in one one place. And the the new album, then, is... Distillations of the Blues. Tell me about that a little bit. I, I really enjoyed it. It's at least certain parts of it. I almost kind of feel that that Dixieland um, sound creeping in. Yeah, yeah. We started off the album with Hesitation Blues, which is a Piedmont blues, like a North Carolina style mm -hmm. blues, mm -hmm. by Reverend Gary Davis. So that's where I learned it. I don't actually. I don't think he wrote it. I think it's older than that. Mm. But that's the only cover on the record, and I did uh, get a couple of my friends from New Orleans to to help me do a, a Dixieland uh, intro and some Dixieland uh, kind of interplay in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where I hear that. And then, we, yeah, for the first song, absolutely. Um, I I guess I write the songs and and then I come up with the title for the record at the end. Okay. So, but um. And there's a couple things in there that don't really fit with it, but I found that uh, there's a lot of different blues ideas that I was throwing around um, that ended up on there. Some There's a couple of straight blues, and there's a couple of things that uh, music theory people wouldn't call blues at all that somehow are blues anyways. And, uh, now, is this uh, but, uh, to, to, to go into a blues-oriented project, having studied jazz, a lot of your music career has kind of been about jazz. Is this a uh, just a progression, or was it an intentional uh, aside a little bit from, from that career? Well, I've never had the career where I was playing at Lincoln Center and doing those kind of records. I've done some little demo kind of things where we played standards. But I, okay. It's the last, oh, six or seven, eight years been about my songwriting. And I just try to write the songs that come out. Mm 
um, and be true to them and then see where they take me. Yeah. And hopefully I learn something from the song each time. Maybe I learn something about myself mm-hmm. when I look at what the song ends up being. Mm-hmm. And I try not to do it the other way around. I try to learn from the songs. I try not to push something into the songs, okay. Okay. idea-wise. So I'll start with that. Um, I did kind of a detour in my life into being learning modern jazz. And when I was in school, either you went along with learning, you know, post-bop music, or they kicked you out. There, uh-huh. there wasn't any way to study songwriting, or you know, there's no program where you can get a degree in Bob Dylan. I don't know if I would have chosen that or whatever, but that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. The only option was to study it that way. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I realized, well, that isn't really the kind of music that made me fall in love with mm. music. I like it. But when I went back to those first records I fell in love with, they really are more blues records. Mm -hmm. But not blues in the sense of the jam session where people play 12-bar blues over and over again with the same lyrics and kind of do their best B.B. King impersonation or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. It's a little more, there's a lot more different song forms um, and ideas besides that. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's like what I was saying, like there's Piedmont blues, there's more jazz approaches to blues, there's other kinds of songs that you can make them feel blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but the underlying emotion is still going back to some feeling that you have in your gut that you don't know where it came from, but going back to the original songs, mm-hmm. the original feeling that you feel. Uh, I don't want to sound too wishy-washy, but... Uh, rather than trying to play something new and different um, for the sake of that, mm-hmm. I try to be somebody that looks back and tries to find what is the essence of music for me. And um, there's some been some very original people that seem to go from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there wasn't Ray Charles music before he came along. Right, right. But he doesn't feel like he's not avant-garde he mm-hmm. invented a style of music but when you hear it it sounds like something that's already been there mm-hmm. the same is true for bb king he's there wasn't that kind of music mm-hmm. before he came along mm-hmm. it's you don't know where did it come from but somehow it feels like it's been there when yeah. he plays it feel like he's reaching back rather than trying to sound different just for the heck of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's interesting hmm um, where can folks find you, find your music, get in touch with you? Well, we're online in just about every capacity you can be, whether it's, uh, I hope that you'll buy the record because uh, the artwork is is great and we try to put together a good package. It is cool. Yeah. It's something that you can hang on to that has nice artwork and the liner notes and trying to make make something something that you want to hold on to but you can find it on every different online platform if that's the way you go about things and the website is net. okay if you just type in my name it'll appear okay and the cd is distillations of the blues thanks ted enjoyed talking to you this is this is good stuff man i enjoyed uh enjoyed talking with you about it 
So let's close out the show today listening to one of Ted Hefko and the Thousandaires' songs from their new CD, Distillation of the Blues. This is track one called Hesitation Blues. Oh, 
Hesitation stockings and the hesitation shoes Your good Lord knows I got them hesitation blues Tell me how long, baby, do I have to wait? Can I get you now, oh, darling, must I hesitate? Can I get you now, oh, darling, must I hesitate? Can I get you now, darling, must I hesitate? Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.